This is Trail Tales, a running podcast. Here are your hosts, Sean Soban and David Waters. We'll discuss everything to do about running. It doesn't matter if you're a new runner or an experienced racer. The stories and guests at Trail Tales ARP will keep you entertained. From the trails to the road to the track. If it's running, find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild! Welcome to Season 4, Episode 2 of Trail Tales ARP. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by my dog, Piper. She's just been such a wonderful running partner over the past two weeks. We've done our first long runs together. She's done 14 and 15 kilometers respectively, and she's been doing just such a great job. I can't help but have to share it with you. Enjoy the show, guys. I've got David Waters with me here at the beginning of the show. Dave, how are you? Amazing, 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 Sean. Glad to hear it, man. It's been a while since we've uh, been able to chat. So um, before we get into our interview, um, why don't we get an update from you, Dave? You've got some big plans coming up. Yes, I do. I'm actually going to be running my first ever 50 miler, which is 80 kilometers. Um, It's not in a race. It's just basically going to be self-imposed. I had a 100-kilometer 100, 100 race uh, that was going to be in August, but due to COVID, it was canceled. And I thought, you know what? I've just been training so much for the last year to get back into back into shape and to get back into the whole running game. I just I, I need to have something to go for before it snows. <laughs> so I thought, you know, what better way and uh you know go ahead and run a 50 miler yeah dave that's gonna be it's gonna be pretty exciting i think with all the mileage you've got under your belt over the past year this should be pretty easy for you i mean i don't want to you know i don't want to take anything off the effort that you're going to be putting in because it's it's no easy feat to run that mileage i mean we did the 50k last year and that was that was challenging in and of itself so you're extending that a little bit and uh i know though that you're going to succeed in this it's going to be it's going to be good, Dave. So um, do you have any of your details finalized yet for the for the run? Well, I mean, I know the location. So it's going to be in the Boyne Valley Provincial Park, uh, which is just, you know, uh, just west of, uh, sorry, just east of uh, town here in Shelburne and north of Orangeville. Um, it, uh, there's going to be, I'm going to be running from town, from the house, to the trail and it's about nine kilometers uh just on country roads and then there's going to be i think there's going to be a 21 kilometer trail um loop that i've kind of set up Uh, i did that yesterday and then there's going to be another you know 9k back so i am going to be short one kilometer as it stands right now but um, to make it a 40 kilometer, um, adventure, because what I want to do is once I finish that and I come back home for like base camp, I'm then going to probably go out and do four 10 K, uh, loops that I normally do, uh, just as part of my, my daily run anyways. So I thought I'd, I'd throw down all the trail, all the elevation roots, rocks, and, and river crossings and all that kind of stuff at the beginning because I'm going to start around five o'clock in the morning. I think it's going to be October 25th. It's going to be a Sunday. I think that's the date that it's going to be. And uh, then I'll finish off with just doing the loops um, pretty much just on the outskirts of, uh, of, of town through some really cool neighborhoods and uh, you know, a little bit of a uh, little bit of trail as well. But that's kind of the, the general idea. I like that day. That's pretty interesting. You have the first half out in the trail and then the second half on your 10 K loop. It's a, that's a neat setup, man. Yeah. It's going to be, I thought I, uh, I thought I would do that only because if something goes terribly wrong, it's very close. And if people want to come out and do a couple of loops with me or whatever, it's, it's close enough to town or it's, you know, it's going to be easy to spot me, easy to find me. But if I'm in, if I'm in the trail, it's it's going to be hard to kind of figure out where where I am, so I thought I would get get that done first, um, and I also wanted to make it hard, right? So I'm going to be starting at five o'clock in the morning. It's dark. 
until you know it's dark i'm going to be out on the trail headlamp and all so uh, i just and then river crossings i wanted that to be hard because it's be cold on the feet so at, at nine and a half kilometers in i'm gonna have soaking feet <laughs> and i'm going to be running uh on some of these trails that have never been well i wouldn't say never but a lot of people don't know about them because i think they were the original trail that was set up in the Boyne Valley. Just I'm looking at like the signage. It's really, really old in a couple of places. And honestly, I don't think people would really even know that this existed, except for some of them, the mountain bikers. I think they've, they've kind of kept it up, which is kind of interesting. Oh, that's, that's an awesome element, man. Another degree of difficulty for you, especially uh, starting off early in the morning, you might, uh, it might be hard to see the, the blaze blazes while you're, uh, got your headlamp on it eh? well yeah and, and to be quite honest there are, there are no blazes where where i'm i'm starting <laughs> where i'm starting from there are no blazes at all it's probably a, a good kilometers before i can kind of get into the to the regular trail so yep. there is an element of and again i'm still playing with the the course right the, i mean i could go into another area that's that's only been used by by mountain bikers and I don't know how regular it is, but uh, you know, in that, uh, it's all kind of in and around that area. So I'm still kind of playing with it. I'm still trying to figure out if I can get some more mileage in there. It's just, I think it's going to be a, a take a look and see, and it's going to be closer to the, the, the day that I do it, that I'll probably throw out the map on social media. And that way everyone will know where the, where I'm going to, you know, be and, and kind of like the times where, where I may actually pop up <laughs> in those locations. Yeah. Um, I got a question for you. Are you going to be bringing your salty potatoes for your nutrition? on the Absolutely. <laughs> hands, oh. hands down. I mean, I may not, uh, I may um, stash them uh, because one of the sections before the river crossing, I may just stash them there. And then as I run back, so I have to come back that way, I'll just pick them up and uh, I'll, I'll kind of run home. Because one of the sections, it's going to be like an out and back um, just when I'm running on the road section. So that'd be pretty good. Speaking, um, speaking of nutrition and stashing, hopefully, well, I'm sure they'll be covered up so you don't have any little critters getting in there and taking them. But um, speaking of nutrition, Dave, this interview coming up this week um, that we're about to listen to um, was with another fellow podcaster from the Finding My Fit podcast in the UK. And her name's Athena Crilly. Oh, sweet. And uh, yeah, she's a nutritionist and she's a she's a coach, uh, coaches people for for getting in shape, general fitness and does some running and and stuff like that. And uh, we got into a great conversation about nutrition, um, even in like minerals and vitamins and things like that, which I think is something that we kind of overlook when it comes to. Um, well, I know I certainly do anyways, when it comes to my nutrition, I don't really think about like minerals and vitamins and things like that. So we got into a good conversation there. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy the interview with her. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I think uh, I think so. I think a lot of people, uh, again, they don't, they, like I said, minerals and vitamins and all that kind of stuff. I mean, your electrolytes, most people don't even, I didn't even know what electrolytes were when I started running. I had no, no idea. So I think that, I think, I'll, you know, if, this episode um, will certainly help uh, people understand, you know, the importance of nutrition and, vitamins and minerals and, and your electrolytes and all of those things that, you know, allow your body to, to function. Absolutely. And, and the other thing about Athena, she's got a very unique background. Um, she went through some struggles with uh, eating disorders, specifically anorexia. So she's kind of climbed up from that, uh, from that pit and back into health. And she's using her experience now to help others. And, you know, she's, she's really doing things the right way and taking her hardships and turning them all into a positive and uh, teaching people how to eat properly and healthy and, you know, taking things in stride. So, again, it was a really good interview. There's a lot to take out from it. So uh, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy it. Let's roll. Run wild, buddy. Run wild, buddy. I'm your host, Sean Sobon. And I have another great guest with us here this week. And with us, I have Athena Crilly from London in the United Kingdom. And she is the host of the Finding My Fit podcast. 
found wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Athena has a very diverse and unique background, and she is a nutrition and fitness coach. And Athena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> so first off, I want to talk about um, your your coaching and what you do. So um, with your nutrition and fitness coaching, are you coaching regular everyday people? Do you coach athletes? What kind of clientele do you normally deal with? Yeah, so mostly my clientele is, um, well, I guess I should start with saying, so my coaching is, it's not actually my full-time job at the moment. So I, I do have a full-time job where I work in the NHS and I do my coaching as like a side job kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of on the side, but I do have quite, I, I usually take around five to 10 clients a month, depending on like my schedule at the time. Um, but most of those really are who who want to get a, into shape or they want to lose a bit of weight or they want to gain some muscle. It's kind of just everyday people that are just looking for that bit of extra guidance and that motivation because it, it can get quite overwhelming when you first start your fitness journey and you have a goal but you just have no idea what to do. Yeah, I uh, I can definitely relate with that. Back back before I started running, um, I was I was quite out of shape and I just wanted to get my health back and feel like myself again. And uh, you're right, there is a plethora of information out there in regards to what types of exercise, what types of foods to eat. There's all these different diets. So having having a coach, I think, especially at the beginning when you're trying to get your footing, is is super important. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I I really do think, and I guess I'm biased because I am a coach, but I do think that that is probably one of the best things that somebody can do, especially if they're looking to make long term changes. And what I like to do with my coaching is, I won't just kind of hand it to them on a plate. I will, I'll try and I'll give them obviously the workout guidance and the plans and the nutrition guidance, but I want them to learn alongside it so that these habits and this knowledge is instilled in them and they can carry on forward when they're no longer my client. Yeah. And you know what? I think that is an invaluable service because you can only take somebody so far. Right. And I say this with a lot of, with a lot of things in life and I'm a paramedic with my full-time job and you know, the podcasting and running is, is a passion of mine. But it's the same thing. We can be there as, as healthcare providers to offer all the resources and help in the world. But if that individual isn't ready with, with inside of them to make those changes and to a, a, adopt them as part of their lifestyle, it really won't happen. Or, or they might carry it on for a few months and then things might just go back to the way they were. Yeah, that, yeah, that's so true. And even if somebody gets amazing results with you within the eight weeks say if they're working with you for eight weeks and they get amazing results they they put on some muscle they lose some fat which is exactly what they wanted if they haven't kind of already if they're not doing it for themselves and if they haven't already put into place the habits that are going to continue on after my coaching then back to how they were beforehand so it's kind of pointless in the end in that case yeah, I, I agree 100%. So it's, it's, it's great to have that coaching. And, and because you recognize that, it's, you can give them kind of that, that, war that warning at the beginning of the coaching saying like, things will be easy when I'm here, but eventually we have to cut the cord and you have to go out on your own and, and carry on these habits, hopefully, right? These new habits and new traits. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I, I do always say to my clients at the start, it's kind of like, um, not like a disclosure, but I do say to them, I'm, I'm giving you, you know, all this guidance, but at the same time in return, I want you to put in the work and the effort because there's no point for either of us. They don't want to waste their money. I don't want to waste my time if they're not going to put in the work to actually get the results. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it's all about empowering them, right? So talking about work and effort, I mentioned in the intro that you have a very unique background when it comes to nutrition and fitness and I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think it's it's a great inspirational story and it's it's, it's a testament to how people 
can change and get better regardless of how lost they may feel at a certain point in their life. So I'm not sure of the, of the complete story, but you know, I know what you've talked about on your social media and on your uh, podcast, finding my fit is that you are a recovered um, patient. I guess you had an eating disorder uh, some time ago and you've recovered from that and you're healthy. And now you've become that nutrition and fitness coach and you're helping other people. Um, I guess my first question would be, um, at what point did you realize that you were suffering from an eating disorder? Because, I mean, my knowledge is, you know, somewhat limited, but I do have some. And I think at the beginning, the first step is to realize that there, there is that problem, right? You don't just realize, okay, I have an eating disorder. I'm going to be fine with it. At some point, you realize you must have realized, okay, I need to do something about this. So maybe if you can take us back and give us a bit of a, a history there. Yeah, of course. So I first, so the I suffered with anorexia and okay. I was first diagnosed with that at the age of 13. And um, it's, it's a, I mean, it's quite difficult to remember, but luckily I'm kind of glad that I did this yesterday, but I was, I've, I've written a book about my eating disorder journey and it's like, I was actually proofreading it yesterday. And um, luckily I wrote a bunch of diaries during my teenagers when I was going through this so I've managed to like refresh my memory a little bit by reading back through my diaries and it was really interesting and one thing that so when I was about 12 11 or 12 um you know when you watch uh like I don't think it's a thing anymore you know like the old music channels when they would play music videos like MTV music yes yes we had uh, we had much music here in Canada (laughs) yeah and I I remember I always remember as a like 11 or 12 year old watching these music videos and looking at like the singers and thinking oh like why don't I have a body like that you know and I think that's the first um you know the first thought that I had about my body and the way I looked and wanting to change it and then when I was 13 I got one of those Nintendo Wii Fit like mm-hmm. do you remember the Wii Fit? I don't I don't know whether people use those anymore. At the time, They're still that around, was the thing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that was the thing to use. So I bought one of those and um started to go on that kind of every day. And then at the same time I started thinking, oh I, I might just reduce my food intake a little bit just just to lose a bit of weight. I I didn't I wanted to lose the quote unquote puppy fat that you have when you're younger. And mm-hmm. I mean it really just started from there and it it got to the point where what I was doing wasn't enough. And so I was adding in more exercise and I was reducing the the food intake more and more. And, and it really is a fine line between somebody who's just, you know, restricting a lot of exercising and then someone who actually has an eating disorder. And I think when it really starts to affect your psychology, that's when it's a disorder because it got to the point where, if my parents stopped me exercising, then I would start screaming and shouting because to me, that was like the worst thing in the world. And I felt like I was going to get suddenly really fat if I stopped exercising for a day. So it's it really is to do with the psychology as opposed to the physical action of exercising or restricting, if that makes sense. It, it, it does. It absolutely makes sense. And I mean... I can relate to that to to a degree back on two levels, actually. So back in my in my early, I guess, mid mid 20s, I'm 39 now. um, I was I got into kind of um, weightlifting and everything. And then I I had set a goal for myself that I wanted to get into a bodybuilding show and, you know, just kind of look like I belonged there. And and I, I remember very much so that if I had missed a worked out workout or something, or I didn't eat some protein before bed that my muscles would waste away and all this work that I had done w- would uh, would falter. And there, there was a big psychological component to it because um, I almost had that, that expectation that I had this, this vision in, of, in my head of what I'm supposed to look like. And after all of that bodybuilding, it, it got to the point where I was burnt out. I didn't want to do it anymore. And you know, life happened and I got really out of shape and, and I didn't feel like myself. And that really affected my confidence though, because 
from a young age, I had an older brother and he had friends who were bodybuilders. And I think that's where my influence came from. And I always had that expectation is this is what I am supposed to look like. And this is what I'm supposed to be. And it was, it was a bit of a struggle. And, you know, I, I learned to tell myself that it's okay. I'm, I'm not going to look like that for the rest of my life. And, you know, you age, but when I was out of shape, I felt, I didn't feel like I was myself. I felt trapped inside this body. I was used to being able to run around and not be out of breath and, and be physical and, and all that. So I started to getting into running and eating healthier, but, but the same thing with running is, you know, I have a very hectic schedule. And sometimes if you have a run planned on that day and you can't get out to it, it definitely does preoccupy you. And you think you want to, I'm going to lose my speed or I'm going to lose my fitness. I need to get out and get my run and it can affect your mood on some days. So I'm, I'm very cognizant of that and I have to be very careful to not let it affect my mood. Um, when, when I'm noticing, like I'm, I'm kind of, uh, agitated because I haven't run for that day, you know? So I th it plays on various levels, I think. Yeah. I think, um, everybody or, well, everybody who's in kind of fitness or, they're vaguely interested in health. I think it's very easy to slip into that mindset of being a little bit obsessive about it. I think it's very easy to do that. And especially to, in today's day and age where society is preaching that a certain body is, you know, the ideal and we're surrounded by good looking people and there's just this external pressure all the time. And I, I really do think that I don't necessarily think that's what started my eating disorder because I really can't actually pinpoint one exact trigger for me. Sure. But I definitely think it it's contributed to the continuation of my eating disorder because especially as a teenager, when you're growing up, you know, you're going through high school and it's a very pressured time in your life, especially when it comes to the way you look and it's the age where you're starting to think about what other people think of you and boys and you know like all of these different things high school is just one of those places where that is very prominent it, it is very much so I would uh I would not redo those years if you paid me <laughs> <laughs> same honestly same <laughs> yeah um so through your journey with with the eating disorder uh, what was the point that led you to start your recovery Oh, that's quite a tough one, actually. Um, okay. I mean, throughout the... So I was I was anorexic from the age of 13 to 20. So I've been recovered for about four or five years now. And throughout that time, I was in and out of hospital uh, five times. The final two times were specialist eating disorder units. And none of those hospital stays actually well worked I don't know whether that's the right word but I, I when I came out of every single one of them hospital stays I was still in the exact same mindset and I've I I believe that when you are in the grips of an eating disorder it really is only you that can pull yourself out of it because it doesn't matter how many people are force feeding you or how many people are forcing you to sit in bed all day and not exercise you need to work on the mindset because it's a psychological disorder so I really do think that for me, recovery, recovery, true recovery came around when I, the shift in my life, it moved from being about food and weight and the way I looked to being about living my life. And I met amazing people that are still my closest friends today. I got a boyfriend and... I had my family supporting me and it was all, it was around that time where I met these people that I noticed my eating disorder started to take a back seat. And it, I, I, I wasn't focused on, Oh, I need to exercise today. I was focused on, Oh, I'm going out with my friends today. And it's definitely not that simple. It's, it's not as easy as I'll oh, make some good friends and you're fine. You don't have an eating disorder anymore. But that I think for me, they definitely contributed to my recovery and it did take a good, I would say like a good year for me to fully recover and feel like I had no eating disorder thoughts. And it, it takes years for a lot of people and some people don't recover from it at all. But building a really good, strong support network and 
in a way you kind of have to force yourself to go out and for instance and meet new people because especially anorexia it does really make you feel isolated and it makes you feel like nobody likes you and the only thing you have is the eating disorder so if you push the eating disorder to the side by going out and meeting new people it it just helps so much psychologically and you know throughout recovery yeah that's you've got a ton of wonderful insights there um well thank you (laughs) yeah no it's it's one of those things like you said you you surrounded yourself with with people who essentially loved you for who you were and you know from what i'm hearing is it, it made you kind of forget that you had that eating disorder even if it was just for a temporary time and maybe that started building the bridge to the other side for you and you know oftentimes like even if somebody's trying to quit smoking or something if you have friends that smoke and and they kind of live that lifestyle and you're trying to quit you're you're almost setting yourself up for failure and like you said it's you surround yourself with good people who support you and and are going to give you that network to succeed it's it really is an amazing thing it's well that's and th- and thank you for sharing all of this information and um congratulations on on being recovered for the past 4 years that's that's amazing thank you so much honestly like i, I don't i really don't mind sharing anything about my eating disorder I'm, I'm very open with it if people ask me because I do feel like there needs to be more awareness about it and a lot of people a lot of people don't know very much about them and if you know I think a lot of people know somebody that might have been through an eating disorder or is currently going through one and just teaching people about them and bringing that awareness means that sufferers might get more support from the people around them because I know a lot of the time people are very reluctant to ask about eating disorders because that's such a personal topic and Mm -hmm. fair enough some people who are suffering with an eating disorder might not want to speak about it which is totally fine but I think it's definitely important that we do speak up about them as much as we can Absolutely. You never know who's listening and you never know who you'll be able to help by speaking about it and raising awareness, right? So Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Athena, that's wonderful to to talk about that. I think we're going to take a real quick break right here and then we'll come back and have some questions for you. Okay, thank you. Hey guys, you've recently heard me talk about effortless running over the past few episodes. Well, I have an update for you in regards to my own running. I recently had my own running analysis performed by Eric Boom, where he looked at my running gait uh, via video. And I got my results back. I was very surprised to learn that my hip and ankle alignment were way off during my stride. Everything else seemed to be in check. However, this area um, is making me use up a lot of energy and I had no idea I was even running that way. What Eric's done is he explained everything to me thoroughly through the video analysis. And he's given me a bunch of great exercises to do before my runs. And uh, I'm starting to make some progress. I can feel it. It's starting to feel more natural. At the beginning, though, it does feel foreign. And he did give me a heads up on that. But uh, I've still got a ways to go. I'm going to get a reanalysis done in a few weeks and uh, see what kind of other adjustments we need to make. If you're interested in learning more about effortless running, Go to trailtailsarp.com under the programs page. You'll see a link to Effortless Running, and that link is unique to Trail Tales ARP. We would really appreciate if you used it. Run wild, everybody. Let's get back to our interview with Athena. And that was Piper saying hi. All right, everybody. Welcome back. You are here with your host, Sean Sobon, and our guest today, Athena Crilly, uh, from the Finding My Fit podcast. And Athena, we just talked about your journey um, from recovery from anorexia. And like I had mentioned before, you, you offer a lot of great insights. And I just want to put this out there. If there's anybody out there who 
is listening to this and whether you have an eating disorder or any other sort of addiction or struggle, just know that there are ways to get better. And I'm sure at the end of the show, we'll put contact information for Athena and maybe I'll put some uh, links in the show notes for, for other sources of help. So if you are suffering, um, maybe this is your opportunity to try to get better as well. So Athena, I want to get into a little bit of running because we are a running podcast here and and at, pick your brain with in terms of your nutrition and training background. So because you have this very unique experience um, with your previous history there, um, I would say like as runners, um, you know, myself and and friends and people who listen to the show, we, we generally put extra demands on our bodies from the increased activity that we do with the running. Um, would you say nutritional demands differ greatly, like on a daily basis for runners? And, and how would they? Compared to, do you mean just compared to like the average person or compared yeah. to someone who does weightlifting or? Um, I would say just maybe compared to somebody who's, who's not as active, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you run a lot, the obvious would be you definitely will need more calories because running especially takes a lot of energy. So as a runner, it's very likely you're going to need a lot more calories than somebody who has. Um, in terms of nutrition, getting into the macronutrients, so the carbs, fats and proteins, mm -hmm. I think it's difficult because I know a lot of people who like, who enjoy running and there are some who really love a higher carb diet and there are some who really love a higher fat diet. And depending on what your preference is, you could sway one like one side or the other. As a if someone does run a lot, or if I'm if say if they're practicing for, I don't know, a five K run or a half marathon, I would definitely focus on getting in enough carbohydrates because ultimately you know, glucose is the primary source of energy for the body and in a long distance run you want to try and build up as much glycogen storage as you can in your muscles and your liver to use whilst you're on that long run so i would start with focusing on the carbohydrates and it's a term called carb loading a lot of people do this before they are doing say a competition that involves a lot of endurance or running it involves eating a higher amount of carbohydrates for like say a week or so before the competition to really um, increase those glycogen stores to provide the energy during the competition. Of course, if you don't really like carbohydrates that much or you're just not, you just prefer a higher fat diet, then that would still work. Um, but it's, I would probably focus more on carbs as a coach. And when it comes to protein, Obviously, that's important for anybody, whether you exercise or not, because basically everything in our bodies is made out of protein. Um, mm -hmm. So, but for a runner in particular, if it's an endurance runner, I recommend around 1.2 to 1.4 grams of protein a day per kilo of body weight. And that's kind of, that's kind of a generic number. So it may vary between individuals, but that is something that, you would determine through a number of different interviews and questions with a client, but definitely a hundred percent would need to get in at least one gram of protein per kilo of body weight. Okay. Um, I, th I think you hit the nail on the head there. Every, everybody's a little bit different. So like you said, um, if you're going to get a coach, there's going to be some questions and information gathered so you can kind of fine tune the requirements for them. Um, because you can't really just say, here's a blanket statement or here's a blanket plan for nutrition for everybody, right? Because we're all different. And, um, you know, there there are, I guess, like there are different diets out there too, right? So like you said, the, the glucose is the primary fuel that we'll use um, when exercising. And then there, there are those popular diets out there, the ketogenic type diets, like the paleo and, and the Atkins and all those things where they kind of focus on the higher fat and proteins and, and minimal carbohydrates to, to no carbohydrates. And at that point, um, you know, our bodies, they'll switch to, to using ketones as fuel, which is a byproduct of, um, 
fatty acid oxidation, right? So, yeah. and I guess the, the ketones kind of replace the, the, the glucose or the glucagen, right? Um, so I guess, would it be wise to say that, you know, if you are a carbohydrate eater, if that's a primary um, source of um, nutrients in your, in your diet, it wouldn't be wise to switch to some sort of keto diet before, while you're planning to get ready for some sort of running event, eh? Uh, definitely not. I, it's, I think before a running event is really not the time making massive changes to your diet. I have a, so I've got a level four um, qualification in nutrition for athletic performance. And in that course, we did cover, you know, what kind of diet you should have before a competition or an event. And okay. they, they focused on the fact that up for, for say, the four to six weeks prior to an event your diet shouldn't really be changing that much it should be foods that you're very familiar with um you know even the amount of food the time of eating it should all be very familiar because if you're making massive changes to your diet it will affect the way you are physiologically and psychologically and especially when it's something as uh, dramatic as the ketogenic diet if you're going from eating 200 grams of carbs a day to 40 grams of carbs that's going to make a massive difference to your body and the way you feel and it takes the body a lot of time to acclimatize to a completely new diet like that yeah so again it would be good to maybe do if you if you wanted to make that type of change to do that during an off-season period where you don't have any events so you can allow your body to adapt to the to the changes that are happening physiologically i guess 100 percent, definitely but yeah. i do encourage people to a different diet because although personally i don't i don't do i don't follow any particular crazy diet i'm vegetarian and i also don't eat dairy but i wouldn't i wouldn't say i've ever really particularly tried say the ketogenic or the paleo diet because yeah. i mean i like carbs way too much to try the ketogenic <laughs> diet to be honest but yeah um, I, I hear you there but if it is something that you're, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I kind of want to try it, then go for it because it might work for you, you know, the different diets for different people. Absolutely. And I think what better year to, to experiment with stuff than 2020 when everything's kind of been flipped upside down. So, you know, races are canceled yeah. and everything. So why not try if you want to, you know, and I have um, had the ketogenic diet in the past, especially in my bodybuilding days, and it is a great way to lose body fat. But in my experience, it's not a sustainable lifestyle. Um, because it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to maintain. And it really limits the foods you can eat. And if you're, if you want to socialize with friends or with family who aren't following that diet, it makes it really difficult to do. But it is a great way, like, let's say you have, you know, a 12 week period in which you want to lose some weight or bikini seasons coming up or what have you, it works. But I think, the approach that I've adopted over time is I kind of do everything in moderation and I just make sure that I'm not overeating and my portions are, are, are good. Right. And with that being said, you talked about carb loading. And I want to talk about that because that is one of the most appealing things to me about getting ready for, for big endurance runs is, you know, in my mind, I think I could eat all the donuts and pizza I want right now because I'm carb loading. But I, I guess that's not necessarily the case. Like what types of calories or carbohydrates should runners be eating when they are entering the carb loading phase leading up to a race? Yes. Yeah, so I, if you want a donut, I was going to say no to one or two donuts or, you know, a couple of chocolate bars here and there. But ultimately, I think the best carbs are really the obvious ones, the ones that we think about when we think of carbs. So, you know, whole grain, rice, pasta, potatoes sweet potato all of those um starchy kind of foods that are going to give you that long-term energy not just a chocolate bar that is full of you know simple sugars that is going to spike your insulin and then you have no energy for the rest of the day of course it's all right to, to have a chocolate bar every so often carb loading you want to be getting in really good quality carbohydrates that are going to give you that long they're going to have that long-term release and excess glucose is then stored as glycogen with the idea that's the idea of carb loading um so yeah just 
just things like potatoes and whole grain pasta, rice, noodles even. So so the more of the the complex carbohydrates, like you said, so you have that, that longer burn, if you will. For sure, yeah. 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 So okay, so that's kind of like the, the pre-race nutrition um covered pretty much. How about uh post post race nutrition or post like hard effort nutrition? Um, do you have any insights into that? Like what would, let's say I, I just ran, you know, a very hard half marathon and the race is done now and I'm exhausted. What should I eat? When should I eat it? What's, what's a good post race strategy? So post exercise, if it's long distance running, I think carbohydrates to replace any loss glycogen stores because if you've just been running for miles you're going to have zero glycogen left and your body is likely going to be running on fat at that point so only within one to two hours post run or post exercise eat a meal that has a decent amount of carbohydrates and again i'm going to make that point that the amount of carbohydrates is going to vary on a person because it depends on how big you are how muscly you are it it all depends on you but a decent amount of carbs any i don't know 75 to 150 grams two hours after the exercise just to really replace that energy and ensure that you're not fat okay but also within that meal i would recommend to have protein to aid the muscle recovery and I would also say, if you can, throw in some fats as well to provide that extra energy into the meal. Because if you've just run a long distance run, you've likely burnt quite a lot of calories and your body is going to need that extra fuel. Definitely fluid, because you probably sweated quite a lot during that run. Um, I would say, again, the fluid amount, actually, there is like an equation that I learned in my nutrition course. And... It, it kind of calculates the amount of sweat lost compared to the person's body weight and all of it. It looks quite complicated. And the idea is to calculate the amount of fluid that you need after a run. But really, just drink enough fluid until you feel hydrated. That's, that's really what I would recommend to anybody. Anywhere from half a litre to a litre. Okay, I think, that, I think that's good advice. Yeah, it's... It is really down to how you feel when it comes to the fluid. You can't really say to someone, oh, you need to drink one fluid, one litre exactly of fluid, because that might be too much for them. That might not be enough. Yeah. And obviously, it depends on the intensity of the run and the exercise and the length of the run. But that would be a general guideline, is just to get in a really substantial meal one to two hours after. That okay. includes some good complex carbohydrates some protein for the muscle recovery and some fat for the extra energy and fuel wonderful i think you know the way you described it is that there are a lot of factors and variables involved in in what an individual's intake might look like but i think the best advice you just gave us was kind of go with how you're feeling and drink until you no longer feel thirsty and listen to your body essentially yeah i'm a huge advocate for that because you could give someone a generic answer, but everyone, like you said, there are so many factors to every individual and you can't just give that generic answer when it comes to something like training or nutrition. Yeah. And, and you know what I love is, is when you listen to your body, sometimes your body tells you that you want a donut. And that's what mine told me yesterday. And I had a wonderful <laughs> donut for breakfast with my coffee. So it was a good morning <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've been listening to your shows and I really do enjoy them. And you recently did a series about uh, vitamins on your show, which I yeah, found I quite, yeah, which I found quite interesting because vitamins, when I'm thinking nutrition myself, I'm not really thinking so much about vitamins. I'm just, I just figure ah, it'll be in the food that I get and I don't really know what I need or what, you know, what's important, what's not. So I guess my question for you is, do you think it's important for us as runners to be cognizant of our vitamin intake and if you could pick two or three vitamins that you would consider the most important for a runner to consider um 
honestly, I think everybody should be thinking a lot about getting in every single vitamin and getting the daily requirements because they are so, I mean, they're called essential vitamins for a reason because they are literally so essential. Even before, I have like a decent amount of when it comes to nutrition, but the research that I did for my podcast episodes, honestly, I learned so much and it really drove home to me the importance of every single vitamin. Honestly, they're just like everybody listening, make sure that you have all your please <laughs> um see as a runner you you are gonna need the same as everyone else every single vitamin um and honestly it's so difficult to pick two or three that are the most important because they're all just they all play such important roles and a lot of them act as cofactors or coenzymes for the enzymes or the proteins in our body that undergo every single important function whether it's metabolism whether it's cell growth whether it's uh whether it's growing new cells whatever it is all of these processes require a vitamin to aid the enzymes that are actually undergoing the reactions but if i had to choose two or three i think vitamin c is probably one i would choose that Vitamin C, I think, is quite a well-known antioxidant. I think everyone knows it kind of helps with antioxidation. Um, That is just like a fancy... What vitamin C really helps to prevent DNA damage. Um, It's also been shown in a lot of studies to alleviate inflammation and uh, wound healing, which um, if you've run like a long distance or if you're a runner you could probably quite easily get inflamed joints or inflamed muscles because you are Mm -hmm. working so hard all the time so vitamin c is definitely going to help with that vitamin c is also um very it plays an important role in the immune system what it does is it helps to it helps the white blood cells kill any pathogens or any kind of foreign material that is in the body it helps to stimulate the immune cell so more immune cells are you know found in our body and can um what's the word like remove any okay um so definitely definitely important one if you're a runner you can obviously get vitamin c in oranges citrus fruit citrus fruits and green vegetables so eat your oranges if you're a runner (laughs) and second the second vitamin i would choose is probably vitamin d and this is actually i mean vitamin d is technically synthesized in our skin it's not actually like there are certain not actually found in food what actually happens is when we have a vitamin D precursor in our skin and when light hits our skin it causes this precursor to be put into the active form of vitamin D but you can get certain forms through the diet. so mushrooms for example they have a lot of vitamin D3 and oh. vitamin D is very crucial to bone metabolism so it works alongside calcium um, and helps with the bone turnover, bone growth, and bone calcification. Uh, so ultimately, just strengthens the bones. And of course, if you're a runner or anybody sizes, or well, I guess just any, you want mm-hmm. that strong foundation. You want these strong bones because that's ultimately what is helping you move when you're running. Uh, vitamin D also plays a very important role in the regulation of fluids fluid balance um which is if you run you're sweating a lot you're drinking a lot and it's also alongside vitamin c plays a role in immune function so um i so a lot of studies that when i was doing my vitamin c episode uh, sorry a lot of studies were pointing to vitamin d and a number of risk factors for a variety including like cardiovascular disease 
respiratory disease, uh, psychiatric disorders, and even cancer. So vitamin D is like crazy important. And I think more important than people realize. I had a fact the other day that said, I think it was something crazy, like 80% of in the UK are deficient in vitamin D, which is a crazy number to me. So I think people definitely need to focus more on getting vitamin D. Yeah, that's uh, I didn't know that vitamin D was was that important. It did all of those things. Like I knew that you know we got it from the sun, and and I'm assuming the the climate or the you know the the stereotype in in London, I guess, is always foggy and rainy and and whatnot. And but we yeah. have long we have similar right in Canada here. We have these long winters that seem to last eight months, and sometimes you forget what the sun looks like. <laughs> and and I think I think we have I don't know if we're quite eighty percent, but I do believe that here in North America, a lot of people suffer from the vitamin D deficiency as well. So I guess uh, mushrooms are where it's at, and I love mushrooms so, and they go nicely with steak, <laughs> which I also <laughs> I like. <laughs> yeah, mushrooms are great. That's that's some great information. Um, on vitamins. So they do really play a, a, an integral role in our bodily functions all the way down to our to our DNA and keeping us healthy on that level, which is which is insane to think about. Um, is there a difference or what would you recommend in terms of, of sourcing our vitamins? Is it better to get them from food sources or is supplementing with, you know, um, naturopathic products over the shelf that you buy at the pharmacy, like the vitamin supplements just as good? I think I think the supplements are just of getting enough vitamins, but I would always 100% with anything, whether that is a macronutrient or whether that is vitamins or minerals, get them in your diet if you can. Obviously, aside from vitamin D, which I said like we synthesize in our skin, but you can get some in mushrooms. But most of them, mm-hmm. you take them in through the diet and the only time i would really recommend supplements is if you really do struggle just to kind of eat healthily i would recommend maybe taking supplements at the start and working in you know the extra fruits and vegetables until you get to the point where you don't need supplements anymore so as like a kind of starting help or alternatively if you have a diet that has certain restrictions for example the vegan diet you may have to supplement with B12, but B12 is almost exclusively found in Mm -hmm. Or if you have, say, a medical condition that means you are deficient or you are unable to absorb certain nutrients, in that case, you might have to supplement with that vitamin. Or another reason why i might recommend supplements is if you are severely malnourished for example if you do have an eating disorder i know when i was in hospital um for my treatment we all had to take a number of different vitamins and minerals because we were so malnourished that we needed that extra supplementation um so really i would i would recommend if like you know a normal issue without any condition just to try and get them in through your diet and work on building that healthy foundation. Okay. That's, that's more great advice. Appreciate that for sure. Um, next question, I guess would be, and I'm asking this for a friend, um, can proper nutrition help somebody who is sleep deprived? Honestly, although like I, I advocate this on my own podcast. I say we need to get enough sleep. We should be getting seven or eight hours of sleep. Um, it's crazy important. But honestly, my sleep is at the moment about five hours. So I feel like a bit of a hypocrite saying yes, you need to get <laughs> sleep. Um, but ultimately, yeah, hours is where it's at. No vitamin or mineral can really compensate for getting a poor sleep. Unfortunately, you know, you wake up four hours of sleep it doesn't really matter how many fruits and vegetables you eat you're still sleep deprived your body has still not had enough time to recover and rest because ultimately especially if you're exercising and you're damaging muscles, during sleep is where most of the recovery happens so it is very important um however having proper nutrition definitely help you feel better 
do you notice when say if you've been on holiday and you've had a really really awful diet for that those seven days you feel awful when you get home you feel like a slob and you feel just so grim when you don't yes. have a good diet so having nutrition i think will help psychologically when it comes to sleep i feel like i feel like it is just like knowing you're eating healthy definitely like wakes you up and makes you feel better in a way and vitamins they have so many important roles and some some vitamins help with brain function so if you are feeling a little bit tired or lethargic after a, eating the right food is definitely going to contribute to you feeling a little more alert and a, in a bit of a better state um, vitamin d also plays roles in sleep um it actually it actually affects production of certain hormones um for example melatonin is ultimately what makes you want to mm -hmm. uh, you've also got calcium which is key in production of melatonin um iron is another key mineral to help you prevent you feeling tired and lethargic and all of these vitamins and minerals are generally found in the healthier foods you're not going to find these in a domino's pizza so i would say <laughs> yes and no to that question <laughs> Okay. So so people who claim that pizza is the ultimate food because it contains all of the major food groups aren't actually right. <laughs> mm, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to clarify one thing. Vitamin C isn't it doesn't stand for vitamin caffeine. Right? <laughs> it would be nice if it did, because I would be <laughs> overloaded on it at that point. <laughs> same same here. <laughs> I good oh. coffee, I can't lie. Absolutely. Um, so do you have um, any advice for people that are just kind of getting into an active lifestyle who may be relatively new to it? And um, also for people who might be in the process of recovering from an eating disorder. I know it's kind of two different groups, but I guess first off, let's ask about people who don't have issues with eating disorders who are kind of getting new into the active lifestyle. What kind of initial advice would you give them initial advice would definitely be to start slow don't if if you've gone from doing zero exercise and you're thinking right i want to get fit i want to get into shape don't go days of exercise to seven days a week because you're definitely going to burn yourself out and you're going to probably get very bored very quickly because you know seven days a week is a lot definitely say start slowly throw in one to two workouts a week for the first month up it to two to three times a week three to four times if make sure you have a goal if you're looking to lose weight you should be thinking right what do i need to do to lose weight i need guys i need to dial in my nutrition but if you're looking to gain muscle you're going to have a completely different protocol to the person who just wants that because you're going to have to focus on resistance training you have to think about your protein so having a goal and knowing exactly what you actually want to achieve when it comes to starting the exercise is definitely going to make sure that it's a long-term sustainable thing because yes, you can lose the fat and then be really happy with the way you look. But I think exercise should be something that we all do as part of our lifestyle because it has so many incredible benefits in terms of heart health and bone health and metabolic health it's not just a case of the way we look so definitely you know you're doing something that's sustainable for you think about how many times a week can you fit exercise in to your schedule is it once a week is it four times a week is it five times a week and um really just try and work it into a schedule that is um doable for you and your job and your social events and really just start from there if you're looking to get into weight training then i would recommend to do a bit of research beforehand um you know watch a few youtube videos read a few articles because if you go into the gym to do your first workout not having a clue what you're doing 
it's probably you're probably going to be a bit all over the place but if you watch a few videos and you know even on instagram watch a few videos on there and just get a vague idea about what you're doing that's definitely going to help when it comes to making progress and actually seeing the results you want and keeping the motivation to exercise Okay. I think, I think that's really good advice. So pretty much, you know, it's, it's great to set yourself up for success, identify a goal and, and make a plan so that you will be successful instead of just going by the seat of your pants and then every day and burning yourself out or getting injured and then kind of stopping before you even really get started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a great, that's a great, uh, solid approach, I believe. Um, so, the on the other side of the coin um what advice would you give to those who might be on in the process of you know kind of recovering from an eating disorder and they're trying to get that all in line and then you know how do they incorporate kind of exercise into that lifestyle too or or do they have to focus on on um getting the the nutrition part of it down first it's definitely a tough one when it comes mm -hmm. to eating disorder recovery because a lot of a lot of people with eating disorders or in particular with anorexia do have an exercise obsession for me i i used to exercise for hours and hours and hours every single day i was obsessed with it and that was something that was very difficult to get over and really for somebody who is recovering from an eating disorder, I would not really recommend to have a very active lifestyle because that just fuels the eating disorder, it really does. And often you might, f people who are in recovery from an eating disorder are still holding on to their, their old habits because they are still exercising yes they're eating a bit more but they're still exercising a lot to compensate for it so okay. i do think that you have to be very wary i think exercise should be worked into a recovery treatment plan for sure because as we've just said exercise is so important when it comes to heart health and bone health both of which are very important for somebody who has been malnourished for a long period of time so I, I I do believe that exercise should never be completely stopped. But for those in recovery, I think avoiding anything super high intensity and avoiding exercise every single day is beneficial. Doing things like, I don't know, walking, swimming, moderate intensity resistance training, all of those are great because they're not like, you're not going to be burning a crazy amount of calories but at the same time, you're still you're still exercising. So you're still getting the benefits for your heart health, your bone health and your muscles. Okay. I, that's, again, a bit of a more complicated situation. But uh, I think it's, I think it's uh, again, great advice. You're, you're the expert on that one, not me. So we're going to go with what you say. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's really tough one and it's something an eating disorder recovery plan so if you're in a hospital and every single person has their own individual care plan and their own treatment package and that's that is literally something that you know 10 different healthcare professionals come together to to work on so it's a very complex thing and you, what works for one person might not work for another person depending on how that person's eating disorder manifests so you know if someone has a history of being very obsessed with exercise it might not be beneficial to to allow them to exercise a lot whilst they're in recovery mm -hmm. okay and, and again this th that that part of the spectrum is definitely a very involved recovery process that's going to need a lot of medical professionals um, it's not something that somebody can just kind of do on their own. So, but I definitely appreciate that perspective. And again, if there's anybody, um, out there who's listening, who thinks they may be struggling or even on the verge of maybe being preoccupied with that, I think Athena, you'd be a great, a great resource for people, um, to, to talk to it and, and, um, kind of have your brain picked on that, on that topic. So, um, how would people be able to reach you? 
um, either for your coaching services or to find your podcast or see you on social media? Of course. So my personal slash health and fitness based Instagram is just my name. It's at Athena Crilly. I do have an Instagram for the podcast as well, which is finding my fit podcast. Um, I have an email for the podcast, which is findingmyfitpodcast at gmail.com. So if anyone has any questions about my coaching or my podcast, they can email me over on there or just DM me on Instagram. Um, I also have a YouTube and a TikTok, which again are just my name, Athena Crilly. Um, so if people prefer to message me or contact me on there, then they can do that as well. That's wonderful. I'll make sure to put all that information uh, into the show notes so people can just kind of click on it after they listen to this show and and kind of um, reach out to you if they need to. Athena, thank you so much for um, making the time to come on to the show and share your wealth of knowledge. Um, I definitely learned a lot from you today and I hope our listeners did. And um, I'm going to leave you with our traditional saying here, and that is going to be to run wild. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Athena. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Trail Tales ARP. If you like our show, please help us out by subscribing to our show so you don't miss any new episodes. Also, by leaving us a review. And please visit trailtalesarp.com where you can get even more content. You can also follow us on Instagram at trail underscore tales underscore ARP on Facebook at trailtalesarp. See you next week.